In her beloved Protector of the Small series, best-selling author Tamara Pierce introduces readers to a one-of-a-kind protagonist named Kel, a young woman in the kingdom of Tortal who is the first girl to openly seek knighthood. Back in April of 2019, I recorded an episode about the first installment in Tamara Pierce's Song of the Lioness series, Alana, the First Adventure. Alana, who also lived in Tortal, walked so Kel could run, hiding her identity as a girl in hopes of fulfilling what she believed to be her destiny as a warrior for her kingdom. In First Test, the first book in The Protector of the Small Quartet, Kel grabs the proverbial baton from her idol, Alana, setting off to train as a page with the official approval and blessing of the king. While it is now technically legal for girls to become knights, the process Kel actually faces to get there is not so simple. After arriving at training, she finds herself the victim of bullying and sexism from her peers, but also from the lead trainer, Lord Wilden. She's been placed on an arbitrary probation and essentially set up to fail from the beginning. As you can probably imagine, listeners, it's going to take more than that to hold Kel back, and in first test, our heroine rises to meet the challenges set against her time and again. The book was published in 1999, and while I read it for the first time for this episode, my guest is a lifelong fan. I know that you will enjoy hearing her talk passionately about this series just as much as I did. We chat about why Kel is such an inspiration to her, the significance of Kel's choice to wear dresses, the way Tamara Pierce handles other fictional cultures, toxic masculinity, the power of quiet good deeds, and how important it is to see an imperfect protagonist like Kel working through her fears. Our guest this week is Huda Fakmi. Huda grew up in Dearborn, Michigan and has loved comics since she was a kid. She attended the University of Michigan, where she majored in English. She taught English to middle and high schoolers for eight years before she started writing about her experiences as a visibly Muslim woman in America and was encouraged by her older sister to turn these stories into comics. Huda resides in Houston, Texas with her husband and their sons. Huda's latest book is called Huda F Cares, and it joins Huda F Are You, and That Can Be Arranged, wherever books are sold. Follow Huda on Instagram and Twitter at Yes, I'm Hot in This. I have had so much podcast news and other creative projects to share lately that it's hard to fit them all into the intro for a single episode. Plus, I want to keep this week's book and guest in the spotlight. That being said, if you are not already, please make sure that you are following SSR on social media so you don't miss out on any new developments. You'll find me primarily on Instagram at SSRPod, though I do occasionally post on Twitter at SSRPod and on Facebook when you search the SSR Podcast or the SSR Book Club. Speaking of book clubs, our month-long discussion of The Once and Future Witches by Alex E. Harrow is now officially underway in SWR. Shit We Read is the book club exclusive to SSR's Patreon members, and it's one of many goodies you get when you sign up as a patron and support the podcast. I'm not usually much of a spooky season gal, but I am enjoying getting out of my usual reading comfort zone with this book club pick, and I would love to have you join us for this or future clubs. Patrons also get access to our Discord channel, monthly newsletters, reading recap videos, bonus episodes, podcast guest Q&As, and more. Learn more and become a patron at www.patreon.com slash SSRpodcast or by going to www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. With my maternity leave approaching in January, it's really never been more important to rally this kind of love for the show. Thank you in advance for considering Patreon. You can join for as little as a dollar per month. Per my note about the once and future witches, spooky season is upon us, and my friends at Inkwell Threads have the perfect bookish gear for anyone who loves the fall and Halloween as much as they love to read. You can get 20% off all Inkwell Threads purchases when you use code SSRPOD at checkout. Shop the whole collection at www.inkwellthreads.com slash SSRPOD and be sure to use code SSRPOD to get that discount. I am a big fan of all of Inkwell's products and I am happy to endorse them. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old-school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Allie Hoff-Kosick, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. 
we're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Huda. Welcome to SSR. Hi. Thanks for having me. We're talking about Tamara Pierce today, and we have done like very little Tamara Pierce. For a podcast that claims to sort of cover all of the biggest and best authors and titles and series in the YA and middle grade spheres. I'm sort of embarrassed by how little Tamara Pierce we've done. So I'm glad that you finally gave me the kick in the butt I needed to just like do another one of her books. It's been all the way since episode 44, which was now like four years ago. So yes, we are back with more Tamara Pierce. More specifically, we are talking about First Test, which is the first installment in the Protector of the Small series. Interestingly, I never read this book. I wasn't into this series when I was a kid, but I was super excited because when I started reading it and I saw Alana mentioned, I was like, okay, I get where we are because the other Tamara Pierce book that we've talked about on the podcast was an Alana book. And so I was like, okay, great. I know where I am. I know who I'm dealing with. <laughs> and I was in, because like, I don't know what cover you have, but the cover of the of the edition that I got is like really intense. And I was like, oh, what's this going to be about? Like, I don't know. This girl warrior with like a piercing stare and then I read that Alana was somehow involved and I was like okay like I feel at home here (laughs) but I want to hear from you Huda you suggested first test to me and you wanted to to read this book for the podcast and talk about it so why don't you share your history with the book with the series with Tamara Pierce why did you want to come back to this one for our episode you know it was hard to try to come up with a book that I wanted to I'm, I'm just that wasn't in my I wasn't in the mode for like, I wasn't thinking about I'm working on a lot of other projects. And so um, when I was asked, like, what kind of books in your childhood that really meant something to you or that you really want to talk about? And I thought of of Tamara Pierce, because she was truly one of my absolute favorites, who I feel like her books hold up so well. And I reread this series. It's one of my top four. Wow best series. I love Protector of the Small. I own it. I have it on audiobook. The last time I read it was two years ago when I was like nursing my son and I just had it playing and I just, so I was like, oh, what a great, I read it every couple years. It's just such a good story with such great morals, lessons, just story of female empowerment that make motivates me like just years later. I love it. I just love the story. I love the world building. Kel, who's the main character, is just such an inspiration in so many different ways. And she's so nuanced when it comes to like a strong female character. So I, I was so excited to get to, and it's a, it's a book I know backwards and forwards. So I'm just like, I could like, we could talk about this all day. I love this story. I love this book. I'm thrilled. I love to hear that you know the story backwards and forwards, because I'm sure you can imagine recording an episode of this podcast every week trying to stay on top of a new book for the podcast every week while also doing my other jobs and reading for fun. Sometimes I feel like I go into a podcast interview and I'm like, I hope that I remember everything from this book because since I finished this book and started prepping for this episode, I've also started a Gossip Girl installment. So I feel like I'm living in two very different worlds right now. And I am very grateful that you are such an expert on Protector of the Small. Do you happen to remember how old you were when you read it for the first time? I was like 14 or 15 and I had... I actually used to just, I read horror for a very long time. And I we like started graduating from like Goosebumps to Fear Street to Stephen King. And then that's all I read was just horror. And then my best friend at the time was like, oh, you've got to read. And it was Harry Potter. And she's like, you got to read this. And then she just started like, she was my dealer. She just started like <laughs> feeding me and it was all fantasy. And it was just, so she's the one who got me into Tamara Pierce with the, it was, I think I first actually read the Immortal series and that was like Wild Magic, I think is the first book. And then I read the Elana, the Lioness. And then I, when I got to Protector of the Small, out of all of them, Protector of the Small was the one I could relate to the most. And it was, cause it was just this regular girl. And the other two series were these women with, with powers, like magical powers. And then, but this, Kel was just a regular girl and I was like okay I and I just related so hard to her and I just I've always gone back to that story so yeah it's about like 14 15 still trying to like figure out who I was and yeah so you read a lot of fantasy when you were a kid like once you went through the horror phase yeah like I I say this all the time I was such a fantasy reader when I was younger and I haven't I haven't ever really been able to get back into fantasy reading as an adult, which makes me sad because it was like such a love of mine when I was a kid. And I don't know why the dots don't quite connect for me as a grown up. So the podcast gives me a good excuse to go back and like revisit things that I loved or find things that I that I didn't get access to. So this book came out in 1999. I would have been nine. And somehow it never crossed my radar, which is confusing to me because 
I feel like she was such a big name at the time and I was reading everything I could get my hands on. So I don't know why I never got to the series. I'm glad you got to it now. I know. Thanks, Huda. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. So let's talk a little bit about the setup because at the beginning of the book, we learn that the king of Tortal, Jonathan, has ruled that girls are now allowed to enter this like page program. And every time he talks about the page program, I couldn't help but think about like the NBC page program in New York City, (laughs) (laughs) which is obviously a very different kind of program, different kind of page that we're talking about. But basically, he has now made it so that girls are allowed to become knights. And this is years after Alana from Song of the Lioness has paved the way for other girls by training to become a knight, but she was disguised as a boy. And as you can imagine, and listeners, I'll link to this episode in the show notes and on social media this week, the conversation that we had about the Alana book all those years ago was fascinating because there's just like so much to dig into as far as like the gender of it all and like what might be coded kind of under the surface in that book and just how much pressure there was on Alana to like try to be somebody else so that she could fit into this world that she so desperately wanted to be part of. So Kel, our main character in First Test, has such an interesting opportunity because she gets to go and train to be a page that she can then be a knight while not pretending to be somebody she's not. Like girls are technically allowed to be knights now. So we think. <laughs> technically she's allowed, but like it's not really that simple. We find out that the the man who's in charge of their training, Lord Wilden, basically just wants her to fail. Like he wants nothing to do with her success. And in the beginning pages of the book, we see him talking to the king about, sure, like we can bring in a girl, but she has to be on probation for a year. And I'm curious, like, it sounds like you've come back to Kel again and again over the years, which is amazing. I love that you have her as like a touchstone character. I'm curious, like how your relationship with Kel, your thoughts on Kel have evolved over time. Like every time you come back to her, How do your thoughts maybe change? And also like this setup, like how has your relationship to this opening chapter where we get this weird dynamic between Lord Wilden and the King and Kel, how has that evolved in the many years you've been reading this book? I think part of Kel's character that I think challenged me when I was younger was that she you know, everyone doubted her, especially, I always called him Lord Wilden. I didn't. Oh, maybe it is. I didn't know. But maybe it's Wilden. I was like, oh, that is that the way? That's <laughs> so I weird. Don't I hadn't even maybe thought. Maybe it is Wilden. It might be Wilden. Who knows? I don't know. I mean. We'll go back and forth, listeners. Forgive us if, if there's, <laughs> if it's interchangeable. Wilden, Wilden. It's because it's, it's spelled W-Y-L-D-O-N. Guys, I don't know if, however y'all want to pronounce it. Anyway. Either way, he sucks. Either way, we hate him. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, okay, I mean, spoiler, do we really hate him? Do we really? He has these expectations, and he is one of the main antagonists, but he's complicated. Like, he has this tradition, this thought that this thing that he's always known is that only men can be knights, and then it starts to be challenged by Kel, and it even starts to kind of show pride in her. Like, in, in the first, I'm only going to talk about the first book, because you do see stuff happened later but um in the first book you kind of get this feeling like that he is kind of proud of her um when she starts to deal with the challenges um and you see these other these boys who are either running away or show a lack of courage or a lack of bravery and she steps up and she is the one who ends up leading certain hunts or certain challenges and fighting through whatever bullying that there is she never tells on these bullies she never tries to use them as an excuse or or anything to stop doing what she's doing and he kind of sees that and, and, and appreciates that he should she shouldn't have to like hide this abuse and, and whatever for him to be proud of her but that's why he's kind of complicated like he's a complicated guy but the fact that he puts her on probation sucks but what I was with Kel there's a part of her character where she insists on like wearing a dress oh, yes. to dinner and it's part of like she never wants them to forget that she's a girl and she never wants to herself lose the femininity that she has just because she's also being strong and being like, you know, doing the things that the guys are doing. She's still there to remind them, like, I am a girl and I am doing this just like you. And she puts on this dress. And when I was younger, I had this kind of like, oh, I hate pink. You know, I want to, you know, I, I, you know what I mean? Like, I feel I hated that. Like, I was trying to prove something to somebody. And so, like, I was like, I didn't get that. I didn't, it didn't quite, like, I didn't quite get it. I, I was happy that she was doing what she wanted to do and dressing how she wanted to dress. But uh, I, it didn't click the way it clicks later when I get older. And I'm just like, yeah, like, you know, you do that. You put that dress on. You make them remember, you know, like you. And it was just I was like now I'm like just proud. 
proud of her. Like, you got good job, Callan. Back then it was just like, well, is that all right, I guess, you know, you just keep going. But it's, uh, which is so funny because I'm sure it's some, I'm sure there's some like internalized thing with me whenever it comes to clothes or fashion. I wear hijab and it's just, you know, people tell me what to wear, what not to wear. And so it kind of was like, it, I should have been like, as a kid, I feel like now, obviously hindsight 2020, I should have been like, that was, that's great, good for her. And, and I didn't, and it, it, now, it bothers me now that I'm like, why? What was I even like, why was I even annoyed with that? And now I'm like, I'm so happy. Like, I'm just able to like, I'm able to be happy for her and happy for her strength in that. So it's, um, yeah, it was just one of those things. And it just, I was rereading it and I was just like, oh, I'm just so happy for her. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. I love that too. And I think it shows, it really shows like the progress or the change that's happened in this kingdom since the Alana series. Yeah. Because with Alana, like she had to really masquerade as a boy she had to wear boys clothes she had to cut her hair to look like a boy she had to conform in a certain way and now 10 years later Kel is not only allowed to be in training to be a knight but nobody is telling her what she can or cannot wear at least not in like off hours like she's wearing a specific uniform when they're actually training but in this downtime when she's like going to class or eating like she can wear what she wants and as you said like she's opting to wear a dress and And the author comes back to this time and again, like much is made of it. And so I think it's definitely worth talking about. And I agree with you. Like, I think it's so easy to, and I've, I've heard my friend Kate Kennedy on the Be There in Five podcast talk about this quite a bit, like the tendency that we as a society have to like push away things that are seen as girly or like basic, because Mm -hmm. so often those two things are like considered hand in hand, like things that girls like are very frequently coded as like stupid or annoying or silly and wanting to be perceived as not any of those things. Often like we are like, oh, I don't like those things. Like I'm not a girly girl. Yeah. And sure, if you don't like those things, you don't have to like those things, but we should be able to choose the things we like based on what we actually like, not based on what other people are saying. And I I think it's like very easy to, I mean, feminism is so complicated. It's such a big conversation. And I think it's like so easy to be like, oh, well, you shouldn't have to wear a dress to, to show up in this space. But the point is that Kel wants to remind people that she's a woman and that she can be feminine and do these things. Yeah. Even though she hates right, dresses yes. and she tells you she doesn't like dresses. Yeah, she hates them. At home, she didn't wear them. She's like, my mom would think this was hilarious. Yeah, and but she made it a point. She like went out of her way. And that's why I was like, why though? Like, you don't like them. You don't have anything right. to prove. That's like me as a kid. But now I'm like, okay, I see. I see what she's doing. I get it. I appreciate it. Like, you can be feminine and you can be strong as well. And like, to prove that point. I hate that she had to make that point, but like... But I understand it now a little bit now as as an adult. Yeah, those nuances and distinctions are actually so important. And I think in 2023 gave me so much food for thought because I do think like we are, and it's just everything changes. It's The conversation is always evolving, but I like to think we're at a point where we're starting to understand that you like don't have to not be feminine to be a feminist or to want to empower women. Like you can empower women and also want to do the things that, women in any part of history maybe traditionally would do and so Kel is doing that and she's showing how nuanced her role as a girl in this community is because she's kicking butt in all of the practices but then she goes to dinner and she's like here I am in my gown <laughs> <laughs> I love it I kept having to remind myself though that she's 10 yes 10 yeah Oh, like I went over yeah. my head. I don't I... she's ten because and I because I, I they mentioned it early on and then I forgot because she's behaving like a much older yeah teen or at least tween. And then again at the end, in like the last few chapters it comes up, I think where one of the boys is like, Oh, wait till you're eleven or something. <laughs> like, wait till you are eleven. Oh yeah, okay. I just couldn't believe that she's ten because she's in such command of herself. She is yeah. so focused. She's so physically strong and she is able to make her own decisions. I mean, even at the very beginning, if we go back to that conversation with Lord Wilden and the King about putting her on probation, initially Kel takes a stand and she's like, well, I don't want to do this if I'm not going to be given the same treatment as the boys. If I'm going to be on probation, then I don't really want to be part of this. 
her initial plan is to like, I think if she waits five years or something, she can get involved in being a knight in a different way. So she's like, okay, maybe I won't become a page. She has the presence of mind to know that that's not what she wants to do. She doesn't want to be part of a double standard. But then she has an encounter with this mythical creature called a spidron and it really scares her. And so then she decides like, actually, I need to know how to defend myself. I want to have the right tools. I want to know all of the right techniques to protect myself and protect the people that I love. And so then she decides that she is going to put aside her frustrations with the double standard and go become a page. So just the fact that like, and again, these are all fictional characters. I understand she's living in a different time, but it was very disorienting to me, even at the beginning that we have a 10 year old who is like able to make these decisions, <laughs> then unmake these decisions and make them again. That's why I think I feel like I glossed over that. I was like, oh, she's yeah, 10. Like, she's 10. <laughs> I was like, oh, you know, and then, but you know, they try to make you understand it because she was raised by like the Yamani people yeah 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 yeah. and they're very like they're warrior and they, they're women and their men are both warriors and they're they're kind of I think they're based on like um like a, the Japanese like they're culturally like East Asian coded I think so it's just they they have that like stoic firm you know kind of reasoning and 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 that's what I think you're supposed to understand that's why she seems like older and wiser is that she was raised like this from such a young age but I 100% like agree with you that, yeah, it's, she seems way like her, the way that she's thinking just seems a lot older than, than a 10 year old. I think we're like looking at 10 year olds today. (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like typically a book about a 10 year old is geared more toward a middle grade audience, like slightly younger readers. Yes. And this book could appeal to older readers just because of the way that she carries herself and like what's at stake in the book. Yeah. I do want to touch more on the Yamani people that you mentioned because when I was reading some reviews about the book, I loved that a few people pointed out the way that Tamara Pierce brings in these other cultures because so often when authors are writing about these sorts of medieval times and like medieval events, they're only focusing on like Western European history, Western European culture. And Tamara Pierce does bring in these other traditions and these other sort of like coded groups of people. And I, I love that she did that because very early on we realized like Kel has spent time living with people who are very different than the Tortalians. Is that how you say it? Tortalians? That's how I say it Tortalians. too. Yeah. <laughs> and she has a different understanding of the world because of that. There's even several instances where you get the sense that the boys in the page program have some xenophobia around those people like they're very wary of the fact that Kel has been around them they're wary of their traditions they definitely think that their ways are better I I guess I just enjoyed that twist because I agree with those reviewers who mentioned that typically with these medieval kinds of stories stories of knighthood we're only talking about European traditions and so that was sort of a breath of fresh air to me yeah I I wish there was more of it for sure, because they always felt like just background characters. But she does handle it with a lot of respect and, and sensitivity. Like she does, it doesn't feel uh, appropriated. But at the same time, it, I wish there was more. Like they're just to me, like like she she sprinkles in these diverse characters, and then but the main cast, the majority are still like they're white, and it's there's not a lot of question with besides the, the gender discrimination. You know, I wish there was just a little bit more in terms of just culture or more of it. But but in but going back, like I'm always trying to see, like, do these books hold up? And like I said, the first beginning, like these books hold up to me so well. And there's a reason like I keep going back to them, because if they were problematic, like for me, I would just I wouldn't be able to swallow it now as like a, as an adult. And it's just there's she like you're right. Like she does it so well, like in my opinion, she does it so well. like, yes, there could always be more. And we're in 2023 and we could just you know there's always ways to improve. But she did such a great job at introducing these characters and their culture. And, and it's well done. And I think the whole thing is like challenging tradition. Like that's the whole theme of the book is challenging tradition. And like they're taking, they're in Tortal and they're like trying to, one of the themes is like they're trying to challenge their thoughts and their traditions. And then she's bringing in these other cultures to like be like, this is also something you need to, you know, be incorporating into your society is these other cultures and allowing them to to grow with you and allowing you to grow with them. Mm -hmm. From a reader perspective, I think we can, acknowledge that we would have liked to see more of those diverse perspectives. Yeah. And at the same time, 
I think Kel too would like to see more of those diverse perspectives. Absolutely. The only reason we're not seeing more of those diverse perspectives is because she lives in a world where nobody else is interested. Like everybody else is still very focused on what they do and Tortal and like their traditions and their techniques. But Kel has such respect for what she learned among these other people. And like she, it really means a lot to her that she's able to bring these other experiences. And so I think that as frustrating as it is that we're like, we need more diversity. I sort of feel like that is the message underlying this. Yeah. Tamara Pierce, like in 1999 was like, wouldn't it be cool if like more people cared to bring in these other traditions? Yeah. She does it so well. So well. So Kel decides to go and go to this program. She's going to put aside her frustrations about the double standard situation. She's going to go through the page challenges and hopefully become a knight. Huda, I know you said that you could talk about this book for hours, you know, at Inside and Out. So you probably have a very like strong sense of like what parts of her time at school or in this program are the most interesting. So I'll let you drive. Like, where do you want to go first? Is there a moment once she gets to school that you find especially interesting to talk about? So there's two. But the first one that always I love, I love when I get to this part in the book is when she finds out that her bullies have been waiting her training stuff. Yes. Like they've been adding weights to her training equipment, her working equipment, whatever. And it's been like, you know, and they're just gradually increasing the weights over time. And then um, her friend finds out and he reveals it. And he's like, we need to tell on them. And and she's like, like no, like I'm just going to continue. And then she continues training with these weighted things and, and gets like super strong because of it. And then later on in the series, everyone's using like these really weak kind of like she can't joust because the thing is is later on this is not in this book but it's just one of my favorite things that it that you could tie back to first test that because of her training and she's training with super weighted equipment i don't know if you've ever seen dragon ball z but it's like it's like when you find out oh i've been using my left hand this whole time let me start my right hand and you realize she's been hiding this like superpower that she's now super super strong because of what they thought they were going to get her and kick her out and make it too hard um and she ended up taking that and, and just using it to her own advantage. I love that part of the book. I just I was like, oh, it's just one of my absolute favorite parts. So like the other, what I was looking for on this read is female representation. Like to see like, okay, there she's stuck in this world of, of men and she's, and you know, but are there any, like I could, I, mean, I wanted to go back and be like, I wanted to look at it from perspective of like, does she have conversations with women? Like, does she have any conversations with women where it's not about the men or it's just about like her and she's, and she, and then I, and then that's what I brought back to um, her maid, Lalasa, Lalasa and, and she starts teaching her self-defense tricks. And that's one of my other favorite. And I was like, oh, I love that part. Like, it was just, she's taking what she's learning and she's teaching it to other women. And I just, that's also just a part of the story that I love, that it's not just about her. She takes her trainings and she takes her lessons and she tries to give back to other women and help them grow. And, oh, just, just, oh, I love it. I love it. And I like it. It's firing. It's so inspirational. It's so motivational. It just makes me want to go out and like do the same. And she's just this powerful woman, woman, little girl who is, um, who's written so well. Again, so hard to forget. She's only 10 years old, but she's, but it's just. She's 10. She's like teaching people empowerment. She's 10. It is amazing. And I'm relating. I, I, I will choose to ignore that. But she is written so well. Like she's just so powerful. The, the character is so powerful. Yeah. I want to go back to what you were saying about the weapons and how she discovers that the boys had to so basically it's like this lance, this like long, with all, they're wooden, like the ones that all of the boys have are wooden. And she thought hers was all wooden. And then she realizes, I think it's because a chunk falls out. Like the boys yeah. have been putting these tiny. Like a cork or something. Yeah. yeah. Like these little balls of lead have been shoved into the wood of the lance. And so she's in her room and she realizes like, oh, wait, there's all of these little inserts of lead in my lance. And to your point, Huda, like not only does she not tell anybody, she just like kind of shrugs and like puts the lead back in. She's like, okay, well, like, I guess I'll just keep doing this. And then if I'm not mistaken, there was a chance later on for her to like trade it out. Like she could have gotten a new one and she decides not to because she's like, no, this is fine. Like I'm just going to stick to what I have. And she does see herself getting so much stronger and she's doing drills all the time. Like she just never rests. 
I mean, it, the whole thing does feel a little bit like a like a, an action montage in a movie once she gets yes. there because we see her in all these different classes, learning these different fighting disciplines. And then you can also picture her like in her room at night, like practicing different moves with this lance that has been tampered with by these horrible boys. I think one of my favorite things is how detailed Pierce is with her descriptions of these. They feel like montages, but she describes the training in such detail and consistent. And I think that's just another lesson that I took. Like you put into it, like you'll get out of it what you put into it. And she's so consistent with her training. And it's just something that I take with me as well. Like if I want to get better at something, I'm going to have to, even if it's hard, I'm going to just have to keep going and keep doing it and consistently. Like being consistent, I have ADHD. And if I'm not like consistent in my routine and she's got a very specific routine that is described in the book. So I'm just like, okay, I need to like follow this, you know, a strict routine. Longtime listeners know that I sometimes struggle with genre fiction when it leans more action because I lose interest really quickly in like even with movies like I don't love an action movie I don't love movies with lots of long sequences or montages like I just don't find them interesting I think it's hard to keep track of what's going on so once Kel started getting into these different classes and once it started to feel like a montage I was like oh no like I'm gonna lose focus I'm not going to enjoy this But I actually ended up liking it. Like it took me a little bit to get into it because I was was anticipating, again, like another 100 pages of the same fighting scenes and like learning about lances and weapons. And I was like, okay. Not interested though. Not interested. But I ended up really liking it because those moments were peppered in with like real moments of humanity where she is like sort of boosting herself back up. She gets frustrated Lord Wilden is giving her a hard time. She's deciding that she doesn't need to listen to him. She's pushing herself forward. Like she understands why she's there. Yeah. And then she's also forming relationships with other people and also non-people. There are some great non-human characters and we have to talk about Peach Blossom, her horse. And Peach Blossom, (laughs) I think just like illuminated so much of Kel's character. And so one of my favorite moments actually was pretty early on in her time at the school or at this training facility when all of the new pages have to choose their horse. And I just feel like I learned so much about her in this moment. It made me like her so much and understand her. So all of the boys, of course, like run to the stables that they can get first pick of the horses. Yeah. And Kel is the last to get to choose and there are only two left. And there's one horse that seems like pretty manageable and sweet and nice. And that seems like the natural choice for her. So she's leaning that way. And then she looks over and she sees this other horse who's really beautiful and seems strong, which she's attracted to. Like Kel is innately attracted to strength and power, which I love about her. But the person working in the stable is like, oh, you know, this horse is really out of control and hard to ride. I actually probably like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I'm going to have to like free up his stall so that we can bring in a horse that's a little bit more functional for what we need them for. So Kel is able to read between the lines there. She understands that this means that the horse is going to be killed. And in order to save the horse's life, even though she knows that this horse is going to be really hard for her to deal with, she's like, no, I'll take that one. Like, this will be my horse. Yeah. And people are like, really? Like, you're going to choose that horse? And she just like, yeah, this is, yeah. I mean, this horse is useful now because I'm going to ride him. And I love that. Like, she, without making a big deal about it, just quietly makes these decisions that are very noble and respectful of herself and of others, even of animals. Like she's not even making a big speech about how like, I am saving this horse's life by choosing them. She's just like, okay, this is what I should do. This is the right thing. And I, as I get older, I appreciate more and more, not only people who make good decisions and do good deeds, but make those decisions and do those deeds without talking about it. And that's how Kel is. And you saw that when she chose Peach Blossom as her horse. Yeah. And, you know, it goes back to the the title of the series is Protector of the Small. And that's her, that is one of her defining characteristics is that she's always standing up for those who can't defend themselves or who are misunderstood or marginalized or like that's, she's taken it upon herself to be like that protector of them. And she, she's really large for her age. Like I, like she is, the books that I own, they show her, um, it's more of like a hand-drawn, it's very more young adult, like book that you have is the newer edition I think the newer cover and it's got this like yeah intense stare intense like looking warrior 
it was like hand drawn like a cartoon almost the first few so it was really innocent looking really approachable like it didn't look that intense at all but she's still drawn to be large like she's large for her age like strong well like she's got broad shoulders and stuff like that so she's always kind of taken it upon herself to protect those who can't protect themselves like peach blossom who is like this super sour horse like super <laughs> like nobody wants to be with him and nobody understands him and then that that then she gets to like it's not that she just does it quietly but she also just creates this bond with him that is that to me it's just like a, this this symbolic nature of like her bonding with again these creatures and these people who just are misunderstood and selfless it just seems so selfless there's um a saying in um in my religion in islam where you you give with your left as if you're like your right wouldn't know like your right hand doesn't know what your left hand gives like when you do something good you're not doing it for for praise you're not doing it for you know, accolades or, you know, even for yourself to pat yourself on the back, you're doing it because you should do it because you know, you're doing it. And then so she's always kind of lived up to that to me. And it's just, uh, again, inspiring. Yeah, she like you said, she not only just quietly saved Peach Blossom's life, but she is making every effort to bond with him. Like when it's not really working with Peach Blossom, she goes and tracks down the horse expert who then Mm -hmm. explains to her how she can have a better like working relationship with peach blossom and they figure out like sort of what habits of peach blossoms they should break and which habits they should let him sort of like continue to run with even though they might make him a little bit unruly and I like that Kel Kel is like very much about embracing people and animals and like all beings for who they really are like she doesn't want to break anybody's spirit Yes. Which I think is really refreshing because she lives in a world where like the kind of magic necessary to break some of these habits and to like break somebody's bad spirit, like that exists. There there are ways Mm -hmm. for these things to be corrected. And in many cases, Kel has those opportunities and she's like, nah, like I would just rather let this person, let this animal be who they are. So she stands up for Peach Blossom, but she also, as we get into the story, is standing up for other humans that are her peers in this page program there's a group of boys led by one named Joran who they're just awful and we know from the beginning that Kel like expects some level of hazing her older brothers who have gone through the page program warn her that all first year pages are hazed and that she will probably get it even worse than most because she is a girl and she's the first girl to do this the hazing that she endures is like really horrible somebody pees on her front door like it's just gross. She is constantly on the lookout for people to be pranking her and for her living quarters to be damaged in different ways. And more often than not, like they prove her right. Like her suspicions are correct and she just has to be looking out. And it's, it's a hard balance because the superiors in this program are trying to take steps to protect her, but she doesn't want them to do too much because she doesn't want to draw attention to the fact that she's a girl. So she's walking this this fine line. But basically, these boys are horrible to her. And as we've been hinting at, like, she never complains. She never does anything when she's the target of bullying. But once she sees it affecting other people, people that are even smaller, there's a boy named Merrick who's really small. She's like, nope, I've had it. And she takes matters into her own hands and starts to stand up to the bullies. And there's this moment where Merrick gets really mad that she stood up for him. And he's so embarrassed that, like, he had to have the girl girl. be his advocate. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on your latest reread about that whole thing. Oh, so annoying. I mean, Merrick is a friend. He eventually becomes her friend and ally. We know that. But in the beginning, yeah, he's so annoying. And you're, I remember reading it as a kid and reading it now. And I was just like, what is wrong with you? Like, it's just that toxic masculinity of like you can accept help from a girl it's okay and she's just and she doesn't make it that she never even makes it like that she's the girl like it's just a friend something is being done to you you are being bullied you are being hurt and somebody is standing up for you and instead of being grateful like if it was any of the other guys if it was like prince rald or something like you know or neil like he would have been he would have been helped like so happy and it's just oh no it's kel get away from me i'm like and I, I just, I get so annoyed. It's so annoying. And it's just, that's just how it, if a girl says something and, and the guy won't hear her, right? But then a guy says something and, oh, wow, that's a great idea. And she's like, I said the same thing. Anyway, I just, I'm annoyed every single time. I'm glad he like finally like realized that it's better to be 
on her side than it is on their side. Like, it doesn't matter, but oh, that scene always annoys me. Yeah, the toxic masculinity in this world is definitely rampant, especially with, like, a Joran, for example. Yeah. But then in contrast, we have Neil, who is Kel's, like, sponsor, sort of her mentor, and he becomes her friend. And he seems like genuinely happy to have her there. Like at the beginning when the older pages are choosing their mentees, nobody wants to be paired with Kel really, at least not for any real reasons. And so I was suspicious of Neil at first. Yeah, I was like, why Why do you want her? 100%. What's your angle? <laughs> but it, it seems pretty legit unless something comes up in the later books. I'm like, no, no, he seems to like genuinely want to help her out. He's from this family of mages. He's grown up in the in the kingdom so I feel like he he seems to really respect Alana and the lioness and like what it means for Kel to be a page and they become friends which is really special what did you think of their relationship on this reread I was totally suspicious I even even though I know what's going to happen even though I know he becomes one of her best friends I was yeah it's because it's out of nowhere and it feels like what's Right. What do you want? Like nobody else is on her side. What do you want? And and it I hate, it just goes back to oh I hate that I'm so suspicious of the guys. Um, but that's just the reality is I'm always thinking of what is the angle, even though I already know. But but again, I just I think it speaks to Pierce's powerful writing. Um, that even years later I still know what's gonna happen and I can still feel like that suspicion. Even though I don't think I can't remember, but I don't think I think Kel was just like okay. Like, she was just like, thanks. I don't think that she was, I think she was just appreciative that, that he was her sponsor. Was she suspicious? I, I think she was for a second because wasn't it Joran who originally was like, he volunteered. Yeah. And he acted like he had these genuine motivations to be her mentor. And then it comes out that obviously he was full of it. Yeah. And so, of course, she isn't sure how to feel when somebody else steps in. But I think she pretty quickly decided that she could trust Neil. I think it was after you find out that he's like has a crush on the wild mage and I am blanking on her name. Diane, Diane, Dane. That sounds right. Dane? Yeah. I think it's Dane. And she's the main character of the wild, uh, the immortals series, which is before set before this. It's called the immortals. And I think the first book is wild magic. And she's this very powerful mage and she can talk to animals and she can turn into animals. So that's just a little background. So I think Neil is in love with her. Or like has a crush on her and she's already involved with somebody else. But then when you find that out, you're like, oh, okay, he's okay. Because <laughs> you you know she's pure. <laughs> oh, he's pure. He's good. He's a good guy. So it's just like, and that's so funny to me that I that I say I, I give him the stamp of approval because of his, like, because of how he feels about somebody I like and respect. And so it's, it's just, that's that, okay, you're good. You're okay. It's nothing that you say or do. It's, oh, you, you're friends with her? Okay, that's good. You're, you're, you're good in my book. <laughs> I feel like that's how we function in real life sometimes, though, too. It's yeah. like you're a reflection of the people that you spend time with or of the people that you aspire to be more like. And the fact that he wants to be in a relationship with her must mean that he's a good guy. Yeah. He is a good guy. He ends up figuring out that Kel is the one who's been, like, patrolling the halls at night to take revenge on the bullies. And even though he's, like, yes. kind of annoyed that she's doing it, he's like, okay, I guess I'll help yes. you. Like, he gets dragged into it. Which I appreciated. There's like a band of of. And they're a band, yeah. Yeah, it's really it's. I like to picture them all like sort of this like motley crew of mm-hmm. boys that are like, okay, Cal, fine, like we'll help you out, following her around and just like doing her bidding. It's a nice image, and she like really shows up in all of the different challenges. Not only this like patrolling that she's doing clandestinely at night, she proves herself to be a great fighter. She has this training from the Yamani people, but she also learns how to use the weapon. She becomes very strong as we've been talking about. And she's even able to get over some big fears that she has. We learn that she's very afraid of heights and Lord Wilden also figures that out. And so he starts to push her by forcing her to run to high places or to climb trees, to like climb things higher and higher and faster and faster. And, I really enjoyed watching her like psych herself up to do those things. And I feel like, okay, like you can do this, but she also doesn't pretend not to be afraid, which I think is important because I like the idea that young readers aren't taking in this message that like you have to not be scared. I like that. They're like, no, you know, she's afraid. She knows she's afraid, 
and she's going to figure out how to fight through the fear. She's like not even lying. Like when when they were asking her while she was climbing the tree, like how she was feeling, she's not like, oh, I'm fine. She's terrified. And they know she's terrified. And she like passes out. Yeah. yeah, she's really scared. And I think that's a good example for young people that like, I don't want anybody to put themselves in life threatening situations, obviously. But I think too often we're taught that like pushing aside your fear is the only way to push past an obstacle and instead we see Kel who's acknowledging her fear and then working with it yes I love that she's not perfect that she has a flaw like it is it makes it feel like her that's what makes her character to me feel so uh, relatable because you know she's not the like it's not that she everything that she tries to achieve it comes to a success like you see her fall and you see her, her fail and you see her you see her struggle her fear of heights is something that she continues to have throughout the series it's not like oh it all tied up at the end with this bow it's she is terrified of heights and it's like a legitimate and she's she throws up she passes out it, it really hinders her ability to try to do like what she's trying to do and help people and save people and she like you said she doesn't put like she doesn't push it to the side she like works through it like even as she can feel like the some bubbling up inside of her like she's going to have this like attack or something she continues to work through it and and sometimes she succeeds and sometimes she fails and and I really like that, that that is included in there. Like this, you know, there is this flaw that she's got and it's a serious one. It's not just like this tiny little thing. And and that was just, uh, it was an important part for me to like to see that she is human. Again, going back to why I loved this series, that she doesn't have magical powers. She's human. And it feels like I can be that too. Yeah, I mean, she's uniquely qualified in some ways to be a successful page and a successful knight, but it's not because she's imperfect. Yes. Like, it's because she has worked really hard. The king recognizes when she's coming in at the beginning that, like, you know, she comes from this family that has traveled a lot and she's been exposed to lots of cultures and she probably has some unique training. She obviously is strong when she begins her training with Lord Wilden. Like, there are things that set her apart and make her uniquely qualified to do this job, but it's not because she's superhuman. And so I think that that is, puts her in this really special category of hero or heroine because, like, yeah, she deserves to be where she is because she's a badass, quite frankly. But, like, yeah, it's, it's not because she's not afraid of things or it's not because she's not a flawed human. And I think that that's all really well said. So you've already told me that you feel confident this holds up. Is there anything that you came across on this most recent reread that you didn't love or that you felt maybe didn't hold up so much? I don't know if you found it. I couldn't find anything. I couldn't either. I'm just curious since you've come back to it again and again, like if anything, if you read things in a different light now, but I'm glad that it doesn't change. That's so, so nice to have something you can rely on. Yeah. I mean, I, I, besides just like wishing there was a little more representation, again, the way that she did include diverse characters and cultures. And is really, this is like the book that's trying to like tell people like, wake up and we need to include more people. It was, per- I don't know, I just, I really, and there's a reason I just, like I said, I keep coming back to it because it's, it's not, it doesn't ever make me cringe or, or make, you know, oh, I regret this. this did not hold up at all. This was great. This book, I, I can't find anything that I would say that I would change. Well, and I assume the future books are about her continuing her training and becoming a knight because as much as he doesn't want to, Lord Wilden does ultimately tell her. Like, he doesn't really invite her back, but he's also like, if you want to come back, it's fine. Like, I'm, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I assume that the other books in the series continue to follow her through this journey. Yeah. And she keeps proving people wrong several times throughout first test, especially the bullies are like, we didn't think you'd stick around this long. Yeah. But she's here. Yeah, each book I think is, it follows her. So like it's a year long, each book is like a year long um, of her experience. So it goes like first test, page, and then squire, and then I think knight. So it's, so it follows each year of her training and it's just so good. And then there's the the political aspect is explored more in the, in the other books as you kind of understand that there's a bigger story. It's not just about her, like they're really trying to, and I, I'm not going to talk about the other books, but it's a big, <laughs> the, there's a quite like, is, is there anything that, you know, would, like is this for teens or kids or what might go over their heads or something and I think maybe like when I was a kid reading it the political part of it was like not interesting yeah. to me I didn't really care but um, I just cared about her development um but now reading it and I'm like it's fascinating so you get a taste of the politics in first test and I can see how kids might check out during those parts because it's it's a little lofty but I can see how it would become interesting over time 
Well, I'm so glad that you finally got me to read this series. I really enjoyed First Test. I'm glad that I pushed past my initial misgivings about the very intense cover and then about the action sequences because I thought Kel was a great character. And again, I'm bummed that I didn't read this book when I was a kid myself. I think I probably would have really enjoyed it. Other than the most recent reread of First Test, Huda, what have you been reading lately that you might recommend to our listeners? I've, I read this, I think, two years ago or last year, and it's and I've been read many since, but this is always, I always come back to this because it's just left such a huge, oh, I, I miss the characters so much in this book. It's called As Long As the Lemon Trees Grow by Zulfa Katu, and it's just beautiful, beautiful, a beautiful story. Heavy, though, if you're, it's about, like, civil unrest and civil war that's going on in Syria, but which I don't like war stories. I don't read them. I don't like them. But this was, I couldn't put it down. I could not put this book down. And it was just, yeah, As Long as the Eleven Trees Grow by Zulfa Katu. That's one of my top. And then um, I love reading anything by Hafsa Faisal. Um, we Hunt the Flame by Hafsa Faisal and We Free the Stars, which is it's a duology the sequel. I love it. It's also fantasy. Uh, it's great. Enemies to lovers, if you like that kind of thing. And anything by S.K. Ali in this more contemporary romance I've had SK Ali and she's, I loved her. She's on the podcast probably a year or two ago now and she's delightful. But um, I'll include links to all of your recommendations in the show notes for this episode. And now we turn our attention to your work, Huda. As this episode drops in about two weeks, you have something new dropping. Huda F Cares, which has to be one of my favorite titles. Like when your PR rep sent me the info about it, I was like, this is an incredible title. Tell me more. So Huda, I will now toss it to you and ask you to tell me more, tell us more about your work and about Huda F Cares in general. Huda F Cares is the sequel or the follow-up to uh, Huda F for You. And it takes place the summer after freshman year. And Huda and her family are going on a road trip to Disney World. And they've got a large family. They're a family of seven and they're stuck in this tiny car and they've got to do a, a road trip. They're going to, they've decided to, to drive down, which is um, Michigan to Florida. It's uh, about like a 24 hour drive. And of course she is absolutely dreading it because they can barely stand like 24 hours in the house together. And it's just um, your usual like sisterly shenanigans. And then like, you know, not allowed to eat, like you stop at the rest stop and not allowed to eat for McDonald's or something. And it's just kind of going through just one of the bigger themes in the story is Huda and her family practicing their faith in public. And Huda's so far been used to just, you know, she's very confident in herself practicing her faith in her hometown where there's a lot of Muslims. And so she feels comfortable doing that, doesn't feel challenging to her. Uh, But now she's on this road trip and then she's got to they're at this amusement park at Disney World, and and now she's got to like pray in public because in Islam you got you have five daily prayers and you you have to pray them at certain times, and so you can't miss the times, and and so that's challenging for her, and 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 also being forced to be around her her sisters who who she seems like she just can't relate to them, and um, and it just kind of explores that relationship uh, between um, this family. So and you know just it's it's funny. It's there's like some hijinks and stuff going on, and yeah. Great. Well, it sounds like a breath of fresh air. Listeners, get yourself a copy of Who to F Cares. I will make sure there are links to grab it in the show notes. Go pre-order it if you're listening two weeks before the on sale. We love a pre-order. Those are so important for authors. And Huda, I'm so grateful for you and for your time. Thank you for joining me on this episode. Thank you for having me. This was lovely. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind the scenes inside scoop, and some good old fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.